Welcome to the Church 214 podcast. We're glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at church214.org. How are we doing this morning? It's a good day to be with family. It's a good day to be in church. Amen? All right. And we're starting a, a short two-week series called Influence. And um, like with any time the Word of God is preached, I believe that this series can change your life. It can change how you see things. It can change your perspective, which we all need. It can change everything about the way that we live our lives. Influence can change your life, but only if you let it. Let's just pray for a moment here. Holy Spirit, I sense that this is uh, like a spring day where the doors of the house, our hearts are wide open. And we just pray that your spirit would blow through the house. We pray against any distractions from our thoughts or our heart that they would be focused on you and what you have to say to each and every heart in this place today. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray and all God's people said, amen. Amen. All right, who's ready for some influence? Influence. If you're taking notes this morning, I'm titling this message, Under the Influence. Under the Influence. A few months ago, I was reading in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 11, and this word influence just jumped off the page to me. And it began uh, with this thought process behind this this influence series. And I want to read the verse that just grabbed me. It's from Mark uh, chapter 11, verse 18. It'll be on the screen. It's from the Passion Translation. It says, When the chief priests and religious scholars heard this, they began to hatch a plot as to how they could eliminate Jesus. But they feared him and his influence. Because the entire crowd was carried away with, by, with astonishment by his teaching. I think that's an amazing verse. It's got so much into it. They, they feared Jesus and his influence because the crowd was carried away. They were under the influence of this teacher. Isn't it interesting that an all-powerful God, the one who created you, the one who created me, and the world and everything in it, everything that moves and lives and breathes, he created. He's an authority over it all. But yet this same God doesn't demand control. Have you ever thought that? Very interesting. Instead, I believe God uses influence. Here's the definition of influence that I like best. It's the act or power of producing an effect without apparent exertion of force or direct exercise of command. You know what's awesome about influence? It requires a choice. You must choose influence. To either be influenced or to influence others, both require a decision to be made. It's not forced. It's actually the opposite of control. It's influence. The act or power of producing an effect without apparent exertion of force or direct exercise of command. Do you know who that sounds like to me? Jesus. You see, I firmly believe that our God is, he operates in this realm of influence. 
And yes, before you, you go crazy on me. Our Father, our God, who created all things, Jesus. Colossians 1.16 says, For in him all things were created, things in heaven, on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. Nothing moves or breathes or lives without him. We've established that, right? Here's the crazy thing. Your Father, your God, releases control. Don't mishear me this morning. Don't let a religious spirit rise up within you. Yes, God is on the throne. He is God. Yes? But here's the tension. He has supreme authority, yet he doesn't operate his authority out of control. Instead, he releases control. Let me explain. He, He makes... You and me, he makes sons and daughters created to reflect him. Yes, he puts them in this beautiful garden. He gives them instruction, work and tend the garden. Eat abundantly from the fruit of all of these trees. Just don't eat from the one tree. Oh yeah, and guess what? You'll have my presence to walk with you. See, from the very beginning, God releases control. He lets us choose. And the son... Adam and the daughter Eve, they look around, they have everything that they could imagine. All of this fruit, all of this abundance. But in that moment, you know the story, a crafty enemy appears. Now let me just tell you, I don't talk to snakes. I don't make it a habit to talk to snakes. I hate snakes. So I don't know what Eve was thinking, but this crafty enemy appears. Do you, know, do you know why the devil hates you so much? Because you're made exactly in the image of the one who he tried to become like. See, Lucifer was his name when God created him. He was one of the most beautiful creatures that God had ever made. But Lucifer sinned before you and I did. He wasn't content under the influence of God. And pride rose up in his heart, and he says, I will become like the Most High God. I will exalt myself above God. He got out from under the influence of God and let his heart and his pride take control. See, God allowed Lucifer to choose. It's not in the nature of God to control. Our Father operates out of influence. And the moment that Lucifer tried to take control, in that moment, he fell out of influence. He fell out of relationship with God. And God threw Lucifer out of heaven. It's not even a match. It's not even close. You can't even put those two in the same category. You have God, the supreme being, creator of all things, and Lucifer, a created being. It wasn't even worth talking about. And then... Your father makes you and I in his very own image, in the image of Jesus. See, that's why Satan hates you so much, because you're a reflection of the God that he tried to become like. And so that snake of a devil says to Eve, he said, did God really say that you couldn't eat from that one tree? And Adam and Eve, instead of fixing their eyes on the one who walked with them in the cool of the day, instead of being grateful and thankful for all of this, all of this abundant fruit, they allowed their eyes to shift 
to the allure and the death grip of control, the allure of power. And they took their gaze off the presence of God for a moment and grabbed instead for power. They gave up the influence of their father for a moment of control. See, whatever you grab onto, grabs onto you. I hope you know that. Whatever you're gripping onto has a hold of you. And that's what happened in that moment. Don't you and I face the same decision every single day? We give up the influence of the Spirit for this moment of control. When we have no idea what we actually have under the influence of Jesus. That's why I love this verse so much, Mark eleven eighteen. When the chief priests and religious scholars heard this, they began to hatch a plot as to how that they could eliminate Jesus. But they feared him and his influence because the entire crowd was carried away under the influence of him. See, that's why the spirit of religion is so dangerous. It's demonic. The spirit of judgment and religion is demonic. The spirit of religion is all about control. The spirit of religion is all about eliminating Jesus. See, the influence of Jesus drives religious people nuts. Because the influence of Jesus is not lukewarm. The influence of Jesus is all in. It's everything. The influence of Jesus is fishermen dropping nets, leaving boats, leaving father and mother to follow Jesus. It's all in. The influence of Jesus is not about religion. It's all about relationship. It's about his presence. It's about walking with God in the cool of the day, just like he originally designed. See, God will never control you. He won't. It's not in his nature. He's not a God of control. He's a God of influence. He didn't create us as robots. He could have. He's God. But he gives us free will. He gives us the freedom to choose. He gives us the power to choose him or reject him. See, that's what real love is. You were designed by him and for him. You were created to worship him and adore him, but he will not force you to do it. But that's why he first loved you. Because he wants nothing more than you to love him back and choose him back every moment, every single day. This month, as a family, we're memorizing Psalm 23. And I know many of you know that scripture by heart. And when we first told our kids that we were going to do it on vacation, Heather and I just rattled it off, probably in King James Version, and not even planning it. And the kids are looking at us like, how did you know that? Like, because we got it inside of us. That's why we're doing this. It's so important to get the word of God inside of you. So as a family, we're, we're re-memorizing it, Heather and I, in the NLT now, along with our kids. But I, but I can't get... And this is a good thing. I cannot get the first verse out of my mind. I cannot get the first verse out of my heart. It's, it's been my mantra this month. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. <laughs> you know, if that was the only verse that you ever memorized and ever knew and had inside of you, it would change everything. Like, it's my jam right now. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. But you know, here's the difference between knowing it 
and experiencing it. Listen to me. The difference between knowing it and experiencing it is the difference between a Pharisee and a disciple. It's not good enough to just know Scripture, to rattle it off. God's looking for an intimate relationship. That's what you were created for. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. It's pretty simple, right? Pretty simple concept, pretty simple verse. See, the problem is with that verse is that we try to become the shepherd. We try to lead ourselves. We try to grab control of the shepherd's staff instead of just being a sheep. Instead of just listening for the voice of the shepherd and letting him guide us and protect us and feed us and nurture us. It's really simple, but so hard. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. I'm good. Are you good? Anyone in here have a rough day like this last week? Anybody? I'm raising my hand with you. Okay. All right. Most of you didn't lie. Remember Moses, the story of Moses. He, uh, he's rescued. He's this Hebrew child. The Pharaoh's killing babies, and he's rescued um, from this miraculous story by this princess on the River Nile, and he grows up actually in the house of Pharaoh, and he grows up to be a prince, even though he's Hebrew. And I don't think we think about what the implications of that really were. But he's, he's, he's torn. He's got this tension of being a Hebrew boy and, and, a, and, a, and a child of, 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 the, the, of God and this tribe that, that God just loves. Yet they're in bondage to Pharaoh and he's in the house of Pharaoh watching all of this happen, watching friends and family work as slaves. Like just imagine the tension. And so one day he he sees a fellow Hebrew slave being beaten by an Egyptian. And anger, probably some righteous anger, rises up within him. And he gets so angry that he goes and kills that Egyptian soldier. And then because he had done that, Pharaoh was after him. He was scared. He ran away to the desert out of fear, out of shame and guilt. And one moment of anger results in Moses going from a prince to a shepherd. Like, just imagine that. I don't know what your day was like that, that you had this last week, but that's a bad day. You know how long he was in the desert for? 40 years. 40 years. Interesting, right? And Moses starts working uh, as a shepherd for, for Jethro, and he marries Jethro's daughter, and learns this new trade of shepherding. He's grown up as a prince, and all of a sudden he becomes a shepherd. But I'm sure, I've got to think that Moses, as he's walking around herding sheep in the desert, he's like, oh my goodness, if only. Can you imagine the regret that he lived with? If only I hadn't done that. If only I hadn't killed that guy. If only I hadn't let anger grab a hold of me. If, if only, like the shame and the guilt, I bet, was just crazy. Forty years. He's in hiding. I'm sure he thought it's over. Like my life is of no value. 
what could have been in Egypt if only I had not made that mistake. And I bet he replayed those mistakes over and over in his mind with all that time he had in the desert. But here's what's so awesome about God. He shows up when you least expect it. And it's not like God had gone anywhere. He was right there with Moses the whole time. 40 years. Like, I'm, I'm turning 42 next week. 40 years is a long time, right? I know you young whippersnappers don't believe that, but 40 years is a long time. <laughs> but one day, Moses is walking near Mount Sinai. He doesn't realize how special this ground is that he's walking near. And Moses' awareness clashed with the God's presence. Forty years have gone by since he was a prince of Egypt. And in the middle of nowhere, in a desert, Moses, the shepherd, is watching his sheep, and he sees this bush on fire, which may not have been unusual. It's a hot desert. They probably catch on fire from time to time. But here's the thing about that bush. It didn't burn up. It just kept burning because the all-consuming fire of God was burning from that bush. And <laughs> the curiosity of Moses brings him into the presence of God. And God speaks to Moses from the bush. He says, Moses, take off your sandals because where you're standing is holy ground. And God tells Moses, hey, I've, I've seen the suffering of the people in Egypt. I haven't gone anywhere, Moses. I've heard their cries. I'm aware of what's going on in Egypt. And, and Moses, now is the time. See, what, Mo, what you thought, Moses, was 40 years of waste, somebody needs to hear this today. What you thought was 40 years of waste was 40 years of preparation. See, your timetable is not God's timetable. Moses, I've been preparing your heart in the desert. I've been teaching you to become a shepherd. And when you thought you were just shepherding sheep, I'm preparing you to shepherd a people. I'm sending you to lead the people, to shepherd the people out of Egypt. And Moses, of course, starts complaining. <laughs> I'm not worthy, God. I'm not capable. I can't do this. And God says, yes, you are, because you're going to have my presence to go with you. And Moses still isn't convinced. He says, God, what if, what if the people don't listen to me? What if they don't hear me? What if they don't believe me that I met with you at a burning bush in the middle of the desert? I mean, that's a little crazy, right? And God says to him this. He asks him this question. He says, Moses, what is that in your hand? And he said, it's a shepherd's staff. And God said, throw it down on the ground. See, maybe you're like Moses here today. You've lost the dream that God put on your heart or you thought you've lost the dream. You feel like you've been wandering in the desert for a long time. But God is asking you this question today. What is in your hand? See, you're holding on to control of something. And the very thing that you're trying to control is the very thing that God wants to use for his influence. But first, you must release your grip. See, whatever is in your hand, you're going to have to throw it down onto holy ground and release control. See, Moses could not shepherd a people until he gave up control and came under the influence of the great shepherd, Jesus. It was only then that God could take that same staff, put it back in Moses' hand, 
And that staff, that rod of God is what they called it after that point, held loosely in Moses' hand with the influence and the power of God. With that staff, he parted the Red Sea. He led the people through the Red Sea out of Egypt. He got water from a rock. That same shepherd's staff. But first, he had to release control. See, listen to me very carefully this morning. You cannot shepherd anything until you first learn to be a sheep. You cannot shepherd anything until you, you learn to become a lamb. And the crazy thing is, God does the same thing for you. See, he's not asking you to do anything that he didn't already do first. Jesus, the great shepherd, left his throne, humbled himself, released control, and became the second Adam, the sacrifice for you. The shepherd, Jesus, became the lamb. He gave up control for you. He's not asking you to do anything that he didn't do first. And he forms you in his image, and then he releases his grip on you. That's how great our God is. He loved you first, all in the hope, all in the hope. He, he doesn't, he, he, yeah. all in the hope that you love him back. But he's not going to force you. But he desperately wants you to choose him. He desperately wants you to become desperate for him. He wants you to fall under his influence and say, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. Jesus says something amazing in Luke 12, verse 32. He says this, Fear not, little flock. <laughs> Fear not, little sheep. For it is the Father's good pleasure to what? Give you the kingdom. Fear not, little sheep, for it's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. What kind of shepherd hands the reins over to the sheep? Hello? What kind of shepherd becomes the lamb and then enables the lambs to become the shepherds? And you might say, ah, oh, Jesus has all authority. He's in control. Here's the crazy thing. The Alpha, the Omega, the Great I Am, he gives up control. The king of kings, he gives his kingdom away to you. Jesus says, the glory that the Father gave me, I'm giving you that glory. Like, who does that? See, real authority is not about control. Kingdom authority is not about control. Kingdom authority is about influence. You, here's, a, here's a test. You want to know if you have real authority? Do you? Three of you. It's not when you grab for power. It's not when you grab control. The way you know that you have real authority is when you give authority away. So if you want to start living with authority, kingdom authority, Jesus authority, start giving authority away. That's what your God does for you. That's what Jesus does for you. Fear not, little flock, for it's your Father's good pleasure. He delights in it. He delights in giving you the kingdom. In Luke 19, or Luke 10, 19, Jesus says, Look, I've given you all authority over the power of the enemy. <laughs> what kind of king gives all of his authority away? 
Ephesians 2.6, you are seated with Christ in heavenly places. What kind of king lets you sit right next to him? This is, we, we have no idea what we have. Ephesians 1.3, you've received every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. What kind of king gives you everything? Hello? Romans 8.5, you are no longer slaves, but what? Sons and daughters of God. I've got a memo for you today. You are free. I'm free. The Lord's my shepherd. I have all that I need. I want you to notice something from the story of the garden that I'd never seen before. This is how powerful the word of God is. Maybe you saw this. I didn't. Genesis 2, 15 to 17 says this. The Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and care, care for it. And the Lord commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. When we read those verses, what do we tend to focus on? The one tree. The one thing that we shouldn't do. Do you you actually see what he said? You are free. You are free to eat from any tree in the garden. See, we focus on what we can't do. Don't eat from the tree. That's not what he said. He said, he started out by saying, you are free. You are free. You're not a slave in Egypt anymore. You are free. He's declaring that over you today. He's still saying, you are free. Jesus says, if the Son has set you free, hello? If the Son has set you free, then what? You are free indeed. We have freedom and we act like we're still in chains. It's time to stop staring at the fruit and realize that you're standing in freedom. See, you're not some kind of Moses, backwoods, wilderness hiding, guilt-ridden, shame-filled nothing. You're not. You're a son in the kingdom. You're a daughter in the kingdom. You are free. You are free. I'm going to preach to somebody who's going to hear it. I don't know. You're free. Do you understand what that means? It's everything. And the lamb designed you to be a shepherd. But in order to do so, you must first choose to be a sheep. To give up control. To lose yourself under the influence of Jesus. To learn to say every day, every moment, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. Doesn't matter what's, what I'm facing. Doesn't matter what enemies are coming against me. Doesn't matter. <laughs> I don't need to worry about the next pasture ground. I don't need to worry about where the shepherd's going to lead me to the next table ground of grass. He's, he's got that. I don't need to grab for control. He's got that. He's the shepherd. I have all that I need. Like right, right where you are in your messy, muddy situation. The Lord is your shepherd. You have everything that you need right there in that mess. Just stop looking at the mud and look up at the shepherd. It's time to declare that in our lives. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. See, if you're a fisherman, this is what Jesus said to the fisherman. I'm going to make you fish for people. But first, you've got to walk away from the nets and the boats. 
so that you can come back to the nets and the boats. It's the same thing he says to you and I. I've designed you to be a shepherd, to lead people. But first, you've got to become a lamb. First, you've got to become a sheep. You've got to listen to my voice. That's the tension that we all live in. We've got to release our grip on the shepherd's staff and let him put it back into our hand. Whatever is in your hand, we need to release control. You need to release control today, and God will put it back in your hand with power. See, the tighter that you grip on something, the more you'll lose it. It's time to loosen your grip. So this morning, what do you need to loosen your grip on? Has anybody experienced a loss of control, whether willingly willingly or unwillingly in the last few months? And when you experience that loss of control, what's your immediate response? Yeah? God, why? Why? And we begin to scramble to to regain that control that we had lost, right? We try to scramble for it, for the power and control. Let me ask you a question. What if the loss of that control, what if that brokenness, what if that pain was not a loss of control? What if it was rather a way to fall deeper under the influence of the shepherd? What if instead of scrambling to hold on to what you seemingly lost, you fall deeper under the influence of the shepherd Jesus? What if losing control is actually gaining Jesus? What if we said, like the Apostle Paul said, I count it all loss as compared with knowing and experiencing him. Like everything, put, fill in the blank, whatever it is. I count All of that loss, it's garbage compared with experiencing Jesus. It's worthless compared with knowing him. I want one thing, and I want one thing only, to know him and the power of his resurrection. What if we could actually praise God in the middle of losing control? What if we could actually praise God? Like that's our first response when we lose control. In those moments, we step back and we just say, God, I praise you, because it's an opportunity to become under your influence, like actual heart-responding, heartfelt praise, because we know that the loss of control is just the gaining of influence. The loss of our grip on anything other than Jesus is actually pure gain. See, you're not living for what you can see. You're living for something that's unseen. You're living by faith. And what's faith? Faith is the evidence of things hoped for, the substance of things unseen. Adam, son, you're not living for the shiny fruit. Eve, daughter, you're focused on the wrong thing. See, we spend so much time talking about the fruit, the good fruit and the bad fruit. When we talk about the story of the garden, that's that's what we talk about. But it's not about the bad fruit or the good fruit. That's that's not the story. We've missed the entire point. The story of the garden is not about the fruit. The story of the garden is all about his face. The story of the garden is about the presence of God. The story of the the garden is about freedom. You are free. And the second Adam came and he says, you are free. But on that day, because of our fascination with the fruit, we forgot about his face. 
just over a week ago, I was traveling in South America for business, and it was Thursday night late, early Friday morning. The, the flight from Lima, Peru, back here leaves at 1 in the morning, really awkward time. So you get to the airport about 10 p.m., stand in line for check-in, stand in more lines for security. And then I, round, I rounded the quarter from security thinking, oh, I'll just grab something to eat. And it was the biggest line of customs that I've ever seen in Lima. Like, like a probably hour and a half long line. And my heart just dropped and I, uh, I said, God, what am I doing here? Like I'm tired, it's been a stressful week, I miss my family, what am I doing? And so I do what we all do when we're standing in lines, I pulled open Instagram. I'm scrolling through to pass the time. And I see a picture of somebody that I knew and, and a relatively famous pastor, like somebody I, I look up to and respect. And in that moment, my heart said to God, God, why can't I have a mentor relationship with a pastor like that? Like, I, I desire it. Why can't I have that? And immediately in the customs line in Lima, Peru, the Holy Spirit said, so, Chris, I'm not enough for you? I thought I was your shepherd. I thought you had all that you needed in me. Why do we get focused on the wrong thing? Like, even if it's good things, that's good fruit right there. He gives us good fruit. That's the thing about the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God and Everything else will be given to you. He puts good fruit in your hand. But then we must choose to release it again. See, our promise in this life is the presence of God. That is success. Nothing else. Seeking after the presence of Jesus. And his presence brings freedom. Psalm 24 says this, the one thing. David writes this, the one thing that I ask of the Lord, the one thing that I seek most is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in his temple. The one thing, the one thing. It's got to become our one thing to seek his presence. You, know you want to know what success looks, for your, looks like for your life? It's not the stuff it's not any of this good fruit. It can be good. It's not the house. It's not your favorite sports team. It's not your boyfriend. It's not the SUV. It's not the perfect Instagram page. It's not the clothes. It's not a church. It's not a vacation. It's not a spouse. It's not your kids as amazing as they are. It's not climbing the corporate ladder. It's not the adoption. It's not the missions trip. It's not anything that could be labeled good fruit. It's none of that. It's never been about the fruit. It's always and over, always ever been about seeking his face. There's only one thing that will satisfy you. One thing, and that is Jesus. The presence of Jesus. The thing that, that I seek most, the one thing, is to live in his presence, to delight in his perfections, to meditate in his temple. 
you know the temple is right here, right? He's not gone anywhere. He's so easy to find, yet we make it so difficult. We carry his presence around, and then we wonder where he's been. He's right there. He's so easy to find, and my friends, it's time to loosen our grip. Like Moses, I I don't know what you're holding on to this morning, but it's time to lose control. It's time to fall under the influence of the shepherd. Would you stand with me? time to get drunk with the Spirit under the influence of the Spirit of God, inebriated by the Spirit of God. Maybe you've pushed it so deep that you cannot feel it anymore, but your soul is crying out for this freedom. Your spirit is dying for the presence of God. See, it's the only thing that can truly satisfy you. It's the only thing that can make you live is the breath of God the wind of the Spirit. Let's just bow before our King this morning, our great shepherd. I want you to just make a fist with both of your hands. What are you gripping onto this morning? What are you holding onto so tight that it's got a hold of you? even if it's good fruit. Fix your eyes on that shepherd, that great, marvelous shepherd. What do you need to release? What is in your hand that you need to throw down on holy ground to him? Release control, just like he's released control to you. My message is simple. Let that thing go. Maybe there's multiple things. Just release it right now in Jesus' name. Let it go. Maybe it's from the past. Maybe it's pain, like actual pain. You need to release it. You've been holding on to it far too long. Bitterness will kill you. Yes, that person wronged you. That person hurt you. But you've got to let it go for yourself. Because you're free. You've got to find that freedom. Step into that freedom. Give it to Jesus. He's got it. You're killing yourself by holding on to the past or the present. It's time to praise him in that pain. Whatever that thing is, I want you to do this. I want you to rename it and call that thing joy. Whatever that is, you're, you're releasing it to Jesus and you're renaming that thing joy because anything that you release to him just is gain of the influence of the shepherd. Count it as joy. Rename that hurt as joy. Right now, release it to him. Release it all. Whatever you've got a grip on that's not Jesus, release it. Tell Jesus, I'm releasing it to you in this moment. I'm throwing it down before you in Jesus' name. And once you release it, then open your hands to him. Tell him, Jesus, I'm not chasing after the fruit. I refuse to to chase after the fruit, even if it's good fruit that you put in my hand. No, I want to seek your face. I want to seek your face. 
I'm chasing after your voice. I just want to be a lamb like you were. I just want to be chasing after the voice of my father, listening for the voice of the shepherd. You are my shepherd. You are my treasure. Nothing else, nothing else can satisfy me. You are the one thing. I'm not gripping onto anything but you. I let go of everything today. The boats, the nets, my family, my kid, everything. I'm walking after you. I'm walking after you, Jesus. Oh God, you're here in this moment today. Blow in these hearts. Release freedom from these hearts. Let chains fall in this place today. Let prison doors be flung wide open as people step after you and not after the fruit. God, we just want to be sheep. We just want to hear your voice. We just want to follow the voice of our shepherd. God, everything that's been dropped this morning, been released, that we've been holding on to for maybe years, for moments, God, I pray for redemption that as your scripture says, that you would restore the years the locusts have eaten. Release it to you, God. Oh, God, we release control of everything, and we fall deep under the spell of your voice. We seek the sound of the voice of the great shepherd as you lead us into new pastures. We don't need to worry because the Lord is my shepherd And I have all that I need. The Lord is our shepherd. We are good. We are good. We've got all that we need in you, Jesus.